This is Airwaves by Aviation Trader, your complete aviation marketplace, with your hosts, Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Well, hi everybody and welcome back to this very special edition of the Airways podcast. In fact, it's the first of three and uh, Grant, we've uh, got a very, very special guest coming up in this uh, this edition and uh, we're, we're certainly looking forward to having a great chat. Oh, we certainly are, mate. And uh, as you said, very special guest and uh, quite the legend in Australian aviation terms. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Steve Paget. Uh, many of you may know him from uh, setting up and running Aeromill. Uh, some of you may know him from Alliance Airlines. There's a lot more to him than just that, though. And uh, we're going to have a really good chat with him. Uh, Steve, do you want to give us a quick background or on uh, on quick overview, uh, you might say, of uh, Mr. Paget's uh, history? Well, I guess we've uh, we're going to go through a lot of this through the uh, through the episodes, of course. But basically, Steve's been around the aviation game here in Australia. Australia since 1964, uh, entering at the age of 16, and and basically uh, going through uh, you know the uh, cadet corps and all that sort of stuff, uh, going on getting his commercial license. And as you'll hear in these uh, these next three episodes, he's gone on to make such a major contribution to so many aspects of Australia's uh, aviation scene. Uh, not only uh, Grant in terms of training, but uh, actually starting airlines and making them successful. And uh, that's no small feat here in Australia in particular. There's been so many smaller regional airlines that, um, you know, have come and gone. But uh, Alliance that Steve Paget uh, started, that's a success story that uh, continues to this day. He's recognised as a leader in the uh, aviation industry in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, he's acknowledged by his peers as one of the region's top 10 people of influence. And uh, he's got this amazing ability to uh, create business and, of course, also a generosity of spirit uh, that just some of the qualities that uh, not only make him an outstanding aviation professional but also a remarkable Australian and in fact he's been uh, described by uh, one of the guys who's worked with him uh, for quite some time, Mr Peter Lang. He's described Steve as uh, saying like every three to four years Steve hatches up another business plan. He's a serial businessman. <laughs> so uh, yeah, quite the man in aviation and uh, it's, it's not like oh, that that didn't work. Let's try the next one. Everything he's worked on, it's, it's all developed and grown, and he's done very, very well. He's got some great stories to tell, and let's go into the first section of this three-part series. Steve Paget, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Steve, um, in welcoming you to the show, I mean, you've been in the uh, the aviation game now since the mid-1960s, and look, here we are looking at 2020 pretty soon, in congratulating you on a, on a long and distinguished career. That must bring back a lot of uh, really uh, happy memories. Yes, it really does. Um, I guess when you've been doing the same thing for all that time, uh, there's continuity involved, and you do remember most of it, and it's pretty progressive. So um, I guess a lot of people change jobs and do different things, but I've been fortunate to have the opportunity to be in aviation since I was in high school and 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 it's fortunately progressed in the right direction from there. You see a lot of people now looking at aviation as a career path uh, who, who are in that sort of age bracket in their teens. Do you think it's, you know, how would you compare the prospect of going into the industry now versus, say, in, you know, the mid-1960s? Um, look, I think that's an interesting question in that um, in those days, uh, I mean, I started my, I guess, commercial flying the day the first Qantas um, cadet scheme started. Um, I was sweeping the hangar, uh, and in March, you know, 10 bright, cheery guys who had got a, a scholarship from Qantas, or, or a cadetship, more like it. Um, so 
those were the days Qantas actually gave these uh, cadetships out. Um, There was a lot of flying training going on in those days. Um, When I was an instructor, eventually um, you'd have 24 aeroplanes in the circuit at Bankstown and it was partly an all-over field. So it was pretty much a different environment and still, of course, using, you know, tailwheel aeroplanes to learn to fly. Yeah, that's that. That was uh, very much the heyday of aviation here in Australia. But uh, what got you into that? I mean, you said you you got your commercial about that time. You were sweeping the hangar. Uh, you know, it was the heyday. How did you get into it? Was it saw an aircraft looked up and were hooked, or or what else? Well, the, the start of it all was really at, at high school when um, when I was fourteen, and I had the opportunity to go to Canterbury Boys High School, John Howard's old school. Um, and that, in that, in that time, it was a selective school, and not suggesting selective, and I was brilliant at academia, which I'm not. Um, but they had a, a cadet uh, flight there, an air training corps flight, and I was fortunate that my tech drawing teacher was the flight commander there, and he was just a wonderful guy. And um, he took me under his wing, and um, and I, was, uh, I went through the various courses with the air training corps, corporals, uh, sergeants, uh, flight sergeants and cadet under-officer. And I was fortunate to be ducks of the cadet under-officer course when I was 16. And uh, that meant I got to go to the Air Force mess. So it was all involved in aviation, particularly the Air Force in the early days. Um, and all I, that's all I thought about it. So my academic results weren't brilliant. Um, I just scraped through the leaving certificate. But what I did have was a passion for flying. And uh, at that stage, um, I had the fortunate also to win a trip to Malaysia uh, as, a, as a cadet, um, an exchange visit with other cadets from there. Uh, so I was really sort of becoming a little bit um, uh, experienced, if you like, um, from an aviation perspective. Um, and then eventually the, they had a flying scholarship, um, uh, 10 flying scholarships issued a year uh, from the Royal Australian Air Force. But it was based on your academic qualifications. And as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't that smart from a point of view. of I spent more time building aeroplanes in, in the uh, cadet uh, world um, and uh, not studying as much as I should have. So uh, the 10 uh, scholarship awardees were actually based on um, uh, an exam. And the exam was based on going into the entry or as entry level uh, as a fighter pilot with a RAF. So I wasn't at the top end of that. In fact, I came out as number 11 and there were only 10 scholarships issued. So unfortunately, I didn't get one. Um, so I was very disappointed. I went off and got a job after school. Um, but what I did know was um, <clears throat> me, behind the scenes, everyone was working to get me into that uh, 10. <laughs> Uh, so they managed to quietly move one of the guys out into the permanent air force prior to, and this was planned all along. Apparently, I didn't find out till years later, uh, so that I could come in as number ten. And uh, I, I started a draft, uh, being a draftsman, which I hated, for two days. And I got a call from the uh, from the RAF saying, "You've you've you've won uh, the scholarship. Uh, one has one has dropped out." Uh, you're in, start flying tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? The, uh, so, the, the cadet scheme is still around these days, Steve, and, uh, you know, in an age where that's perhaps not fashionable, um, I guess you'd be encouraged to see that, you know, those sort of organisations are, are still around. Oh, absolutely. Well, you, should, you should probably know during the Whitlam years, um, he cancelled uh, all, he, he actually shut down the Air Training Corps. 
Um, and uh, so all that was lost during those years. Then it came back as almost a civilian organisation and is now back as a real arm of the RAAF, which I'm pleased to be involved in now. Um, so, yes, it is great that that scholarship system and 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 the ability to fly in Air Force mm-hmm. aeroplanes and all that sort of stuff is all back and running again. So that, that scholarship you got, did that uh, just take you to private or offset part of it or did it take you all the way through to um, to help you get into your commercial? No, the beauty of it, well, when I say beauty of it, it was a intense three-week month, or it was almost a month's course at Bankstown Airport. Um, so, and the scholarship only went to private pilot license. So after that, you sort of decided whether, well, do you want to go in the airport or what do you want to do? And they may not have taken you, but there's an interesting story, and, and I probably should follow this a little later, but there were 10 people in that course, and all of them, of course, were very studious kids with a lot of ability uh, from, a, again, an academic point of view. And um, I do remember that I completed my private licence course and then went on, but of all the 10, I was the only one three years later that actually stayed in aviation. Wow. Uh, so, to, so to me, that's uh, something that says, you know, academic qualifications aren't everything. It's all about passion. It's all about will. It's all about want. It's all about enthusiasm uh, for, for aviation. So um, if I hadn't have gone on, there would have been none of those cadets. It would have been wasted money. And um, one of the things I'm hoping I can do these days is try and make sure that doesn't happen too much again. So you got into aviation, Stephen. You you found your way into the commercial side of things, and uh, I guess eventually into uh, the marketing side of it. Yeah. Well, what happened was that after my I got my um, uh, private pilot's license, I managed luckily to get a job at Illawarra Flying School, um, which was managed at that time by Keith and Senior Roby, who are very famous and great people. And uh, chief pilot was a fellow called Eric Greathead, who was another wonderful man. He used to fly the Mustang. Um, on the naval exercises, towing targets, another 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 story in itself. But um, but the only job they could give me was consigning freight. Um, so what I had to do was turn up at six, uh, sorry, five o'clock in the morning, drive to Mascot Airport in an empty truck, pick up all the air freight that came in to be distributed in the western suburbs, drove the truck to Bankstown Airport, whilst in the meantime. Um, driving around and delivering this, these parcels. Then we had a little air freight office on the side of the hangar, and I'd spend all day consigning the air freight. Then I'd put it in the truck at 6 o'clock at night and drive it back to, to uh, Sydney Airport. So, uh, but, and, and, the, and the, um, the uh, salary for that was £7. Um, and, um, uh, but flying lessons in those days were £7. So I always remember Keith Rayburn giving me my £7 at the end of Friday, and I'd give it straight back to him. In the other hand, for my next flying lesson. So, <laughs> answer your question. That's how I started my commercial license uh, through Illawarra uh, by earning, working all week, earning another flying lesson, and got my commercial there uh, through Illawarra, which was um, which was great. The interesting part of that part of the story is that by doing that, um, we eventually flew the freight to Bags to Sydney Airport in a Cessna one seven two. Um, three times a day. So I got greatest experience of my life flying uh, 172s to back to, from Bankstown to Sydney, which in effect was the smallest um, uh, smallest airline route in the world because it was scheduled. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, but the back was all full of parcels and mostly chicken, day, day old chickens. But boy, did I get some crosswind landing practice by landing at Sydney Airport. Uh, oh yeah. Um, and uh, Keith Roby was a pretty tough, tough nut, and you had to actually got specially checked into Sydney, and you know it was a real process. But that's how I managed to get some flying time. Uh, uh, it was flying backwards and forwards into Sydney, um, and then I moved on to, to an instructor's rate. And you've uh, you've taken that and, and gone off obviously into the uh, the marketing side of stuff. Um, I guess in the sort of the late. Uh, 1970s, you launched uh, your own business. Yeah, well, what happened in the middle of all that was um, I got an instructor's rating. Instructing really wasn't for me. I actually started a flying school called Sheerline Flying School at Bankstown. We bought three new, uh, sorry, two new one, Cessna 150s. were $5,000 each, brand new. Good Lord. Uh, a, new one <laughs> seven, a new 172 was $10,000. And uh, we had two one, 150s and a 172. And I ran that for a while as my own in partnership with somebody else uh, and said, this really isn't for me. And then I was just offered a job by Hawker de Havilland, as was in those days. And um, Hawker, I said, well, great. I'm, you know, I'd really want to get out of instructing and I'd really wanted to sell aeroplanes. I could see that was a, you know, an interesting opportunity. And uh, they said, yeah, but you've got to be, in, you've got, it's in Brisbane. And I said, oh, geez, I had a wife and a, young wife and a very, very young baby boy. And they said, you've got to be in Brisbane by uh, Monday morning. That was Friday when they told me I couldn't have a job. But the condition was that I turned up at Archerfield at 9 o'clock Monday morning. So we threw all our possessions, which weren't a lot, in the back of my BH Holden, drove to Brisbane, um, uh, on, arrived on Sunday, turned up at Archerfield Monday morning, for the first day, which is 1970, first day of my life selling aeroplanes, which oh. which was uh, turned out to be a really interesting job because in those days, um, aeroplanes were, you ask you about what conditions were like, um, you could almost say that people lined up at the door to buy aeroplanes in those days. Um, even though, you know, the, the prices were probably similar to what they are these days, um, uh, there were a lot of uh, bush people buying aeroplanes. In fact, they were the majority. People in the bush bought aeroplanes more than people in the city. Um, so there's a lot of aeroplanes being sold, and I had a wonderful time uh, learning how to sell aeroplanes. An interesting experience was the um, was turning up about a week after I'd started flying, and we had a little there's a little sort of air show, and a, and we had the Piper and Beechcraft and Cessna displays, and this guy turned up very dishevelled, and um, said to me, he said, um, so listen, I've just been talking to those Piper, Piper, Sester people, and of course I was Beechcraft with Hawker with Havilland, and uh, they, they dismissed me, obviously, because I'm from the bush, and I, I guess I've come straight from the farm. Um, what have you got to sell? Well, it was a challenge for me, so cut a long story short, at the end of the day, I got a check for, I remember distinctly, $27,000 for a brand new Bonanza. Wow. Um, wow and that was uh, that was the start of the dynasty of the people out of Toowoomba who had the big um, charter business. He was the son of the 
of the uh, the guy who started uh, Moore's Moore's Air Transport or Moore's Air Charter. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, Cessna and Piper and all those brands are, I guess, seen as synonymous with the training side of stuff. And I guess thinking back to those times, you would have, you know, that's still the sort of brand you'd think of. But Beechcraft sort of still carries, to my mind at least, a bit of that prestige. And I, I guess it is back then if you're saying that a you know a 172 was 10 grand and a, a Bonanza was 27. So there's still that scale today, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But as I said, there are more. It was easier, for want of a better word, um, and there were more aeroplanes being sold. Um, from the smaller aeroplanes point of view, um, I stayed in Brisbane for 12 months, um, and then the New South Wales people wanted me to come back there. So it was a bit of a fight between the Brisbane manager and the New South Wales manager, but I was keen to get back to New South Wales. Um, and But there, at, in, in Sydney at Bankstown, there was containers stacked 10 high, five high, where they were just, uh, there'd be a, probably 30 or 40 172s or 150s in containers at any time um, uh, at Bankstown being unloaded. So there was a lot of aeroplanes sold in those days, particularly the smaller training aeroplanes, because uh, as I said, in those days, when you're in the circuit as an instructor, you had to really be careful about it about the 20 other aeroplanes that were going around and around. <laughs> I think the fun bit is that Steve and I have both logged time in some of those 19, early 1970s aircraft <laughs> when we were doing our training. You can guarantee it. Exactly. They're, and they're probably still around, some of those too. Um, <laughs> but uh, the interesting time in Queensland was that I managed to spend the time flying um, Jockey Peterson around as Premier um, when when the when the when his actual pilot, uh, a, a lady called Beryl Young, who's also quite well-known, uh, used yep. to fly him permanently because um, Hawkers had a contract to fly the jockey. But I used to, on the, on the odd occasion, um, fly him to um, Kingaroy and, and back, um, so, which was very pleasant. And when I left, he wrote me a lovely reference, which was, which was nice to have, even though it was from Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, ba- but back in Bangstown, it was, was great because, you know, that's where all the action was. And, and uh, it was just so much fun selling... You know, Bonanzas, um, uh, I hate to say it, Sierras, um, uh, King Airs, uh, Queen Airs. Queen Airs in those days, I managed to be lucky enough to sell the last Queen Air ever made by by, uh, by Beechcraft. And um, uh, that was just great. And I was working with people like Brian Blackjack Walker, who was a very famous World War II Spitfire pilot. And most of the other, other salesmen there in those days were ex-Air Force World War II you know, um, fighter pilots, um, and because they used them all for their for their record and for their um, uh, history in aviation than anything else. But it was a great time. And yet, uh, so you're having a lot of fun at Hawker to Havilland, and everything was going amazing. But uh, you decided to transition and start your own company. Uh, what what led to that, and and where did you get the name Aeromill from? Well, Aeromill came later. Um, what happened was that. Um, after about 19, um, 1979, I said, now I've, I've really got to give this a go myself. Um, I had a lot of people who were um, supporting me, wanting me to start my own business um, and um, egging me on, and, you know, including some really interesting and quite famous people in business um, who owned aeroplanes. So I managed to, I, I, I departed Hawker Pacific, or Hawker to Havilland, sorry, as it was in those days, uh, on very favourable terms. In fact, they actually leased me a little tiny office in the hangar, as, <laughs> assuming that they'd get some work out of me somewhere down the track. So they actually, 
actually I left them and they said, we're, we're going to give you an office because we'd like you to stay around. And uh, so I managed some aeroplanes to get some money in. Um, I couldn't afford a secretary, so I did everything myself. Um, but I had people like uh, oh, Consolidated Goldfields as customers who had a King Air and Dalgettys who had a King Air and a Queen Air, which I'd sold them all. So it was able to give me a kickstart, really, That, and I thank Hawker to Havilland for that. Uh, it was a great time I spent with them, but they didn't give me the grounding that enabled me to start my own business. And that was called Australia Airmotive. Uh, and uh, so it was my first private business. And then um, I moved on. Um, and then through, again, through my relationship with Hawker de Havilland in the old days, met Bib Stillwell, um, who I'm sure you've heard of. He was yes. quite a well known racing car driver, but he was also. Uh, a very well-known piper and beach distributor in Australia. And uh, Bib asked me to set up a dealership in partnership with him for Learjets in New South Wales. So I sort of eventually became the half-owner of the Learjet distributorship. Uh, again, a lot of fun, really enjoyed all that. And um, and then uh, I st- we started... I got I got very enthusiastic enthusiastic about this wonderful aeroplane I thought it was wonderful anyway called the Embraer Bandarani. Um, now the the yeah. band in those days was only sold in Brazil, um, but to me it looked like a, a perfect aeroplane for Australia. So um, in in all while I was selling aeroplanes and and fiddling around and trying to make a, a dollar, I had in the back of my mind that I've got to somehow. Get, get this aeroplane as an exclusive dealership to sell. And um, so, well, the only way to do that, I went to Brazil and uh, turned up in San Jose's campus, the Embraer factory, where at that time hardly anyone spoke English. Instead of going for Australia, I'm a marketer and I'd love to sell your aeroplane in Australia. And what I didn't know was a week before, Jack Maslin had been there. <laughs> and, uh, and Jack, of course, wanted to buy airplanes for his airline, uh, Maslin Airlines. Out of Kilimandra, and um, they said, "Well, look, we love what you have to say and what you can do, but we've had this Jack Maslin come and said he'll buy airplanes, but he wants the distributorship first. Uh, he wants the distributorship as part of the deal." And I said, oh, "I was so disappointed." Um, and that, but I've, I've I've still got a very fond uh, relationship with uh, Embraer, and they're just wonderful people, and it was a very impressive place to visit, I must say. But anyway, in the end, cut, cut a long story short, they said, look, we really want Steve to sell the aeroplanes. And Jack, to you, we'd love you to operate the aeroplanes. So can you two put a company together? Um, and without going into too much detail, unfortunately, I took a minority partnership in, in that company because I didn't have a lot of money. And uh, But again, long story short, we managed to sell uh, 20, uh, 27 to 30 banner Andes over the next few years. Um, it, it proved to be a, a wonderful aeroplane. It's still a wonderful aeroplane. There's still many operating around the South Pacific. And uh, um, and we just did very well. And then I sort of got to know Sir Dennis Buchanan, of course, um, who at that time was running Calair um, and in New Guinea, and he bought Bander Andes. And, and then eventually um, I couldn't work with the Mazding family, unfortunately, and I um, I gave up my share in the in the distributorship in Australia and took on the Southeast Asian distributorship for Embraer, who promised me that one day they would 
they would end up giving us the Australian distributorship. So again, cut a long story short, um, that's what happened. And I was fortunate enough to be involved in selling Brasilias around Australia and Banneratis. Um, and that's how I got to meet Sir Dennis and became very firm friends with him. Um, and uh, we, that's and that is Aramal uh, Australia. That's how Aramal started. You know, uh, Aramal being aeroplanes and military, for want of a better word. Uh, in Southeast Asia. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Adam the Bernardi. The first time I, I think I probably ever saw one, I was uh, just starting my Benicia up Moorabbin, and there was a, an, an operator there at the time called King Island Airlines, I remember, and uh, every day they yep. flew their bandit yep. in there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I kept a bandit on and off, and, and it was only probably five or six years ago I sold my last aeroplane. I always wanted to keep one. Um, I ended up happy to not having to sell it financially, but it was we weren't operating it um, as much as we should have, so I ended up selling it. But a wonderful aeroplane. So was the Brasilia, which which got, of course, Flight West going, and uh, uh, and uh, that sort of starts the next phase of the story, if you like. Uh, in that, um, uh, I got to meet Sir Dennis, as I said, a fellow called Scott McMillan, uh, who's become a lifelong friend. And um, we, um, I sold Dennis aeroplanes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Flight West went on to become a very major operator in Australia for ANSET um, and uh, in, in Queensland. And uh, I guess the next phase then was I'm sitting at Mascot Airport with Aeromall Australia, selling Bandarantis, uh, about six or seven people, um, very happy with what I was doing. And um, But I was getting annoyed with, you know, operating out of out of um, Sydney Airport wasn't easy. Um, not from a, I was operating a lot of aeroplanes, but the traffic and all those things, which of course worse now. <laughs> but and I, I, I've always had a gut feeling I wanted to have a start a, a greenfield site, something that was fresh and different. And ever, everyone said, no, no, you can't do that. You've got to be in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane. You just cannot go anywhere other than those places and start an aviation business. Anyway, I was determined. Went went home one day to my good wife, and by that time my kids were in their uh, early twenties. And said to Lorraine, "I said we're well, I'm we're moving to Queensland." And she said, well, "Where are we moving to?" And I said, "We're moving to the Sunshine Coast. I've always had a hanker. There's a little hanger there that I can buy uh, to do maintenance in, uh, and there's a lot of potential for building something, building something that I think will be really worthwhile." Um, so we're going to move to the Sunshine Coast. And she says, well, if you want to go, I'm with you. So we went home. Uh, we're on a walk with our dog and uh, went home, told our kids they're going to go out and find somewhere else to live. And um, <laughs> and uh, uh, within a very short period of time, um, we came to Queensland, bought a house and set up a little hangar on Sunshine Coast Airport. Um and uh, again, or we're, basically what we're doing is selling aeroplanes at that time, uh, including Embraer. We had a big Embraer spare parts business, sort of a big one, big one in, in Australian terms. Um, and um, here I am saying, what are we going to do next? Um, so what came next was Don Kendall, uh, uh, because I got involved with him. Um, <laughs> through through the Regional Aviation Association, which interesting in those days was called something else, um, and uh, we actually started that back in oh nineteen eighty or thereabouts. Uh, so what is now the RAAA was something we all started together, 
for the first meeting in 1980 with people like Don Kendall and Max Hazelin and, and uh, people like that. So, um, and uh, it was only recently that I, I, uh, I stopped um, being involved, only due to business pressures. So there you go, Grant, uh, starting in Bankstown and moving up to uh, the Sunshine Coast up there in Queensland. And uh, there's uh, a great story that continues after this. And we'll be, uh, Grant, heading off to that in the next edition of Airwaves Podcast. Mate, I'm looking forward to it already. I can't wait. And so that wraps up this edition of the Airwaves Podcast. Don't forget, of course, uh, all the information you need to find about Aviation Trader you can find on their website, their brand new website, in fact, at aviationtrader.com.au. Make sure you pop in there. And if you want to contact us at any time, uh, certainly uh, click on the Contact Us tab there, admin at aviationtrader.com.au. And, of course, the toll-free number there, anytime you want to do any business with the magazine, one 800 Grant, uh, really looking forward to the next two editions of Airwave Podcast. And I'll talk to you again very shortly. Catch you then, mate. Airwaves is the official podcast of Aviation Trader and part of the publication's comprehensive array of digital content. If you're passionate about aviation, stay connected at aviationtrader.com.au for the latest podcasts, news, blogs, and more.